It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no sheets. The land of fucking with the fear fight down. I fire in a fire, Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, and the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. <laughs> no, it's the hour of bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the doom and bloom survival medicine <laughs> hour, a tower of topicality in a tremulous world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Nurse Amy. My real name is Amy Alton. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the spectacular spouses, the courageous couple, (laughs) the gang of two. That's right. And we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a belligerent beast of burden, well, payback's a (laughs) you-know-what. Our attorney says, though, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice or anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, when the chips are down and things aren't looking up, will you know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? Well, prove to the world you got more sense than God gave a crate of crackers by learning what to do for injuries and illness when a disaster hits. And while you're at it, why don't you get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? I think it's a good idea, and what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equal medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by an advanced registered nurse practitioner, that wonderful lady next to me, <laughs> and some old doctor. <laughs> That's that wonderful man next to me. <laughs> oh, or something. I want you guys out there to compare our kits with other kits for contents, for quality, for cost with anybody else's stuff. Or just ask anyone who's ever bought one of our kits and you'll agree they're the ones you should have in your medical storage. And you know what? I what? have <laughs> Hello. I have a testimonial page. No way. Which are quotes 
written by customers sent to us. Yes. And they weren't even There's bribed? A... No. Real life testimonials, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. No special gifts provided. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, I think that Unlike a is lot awesome. of Amazon reviews I might mention, though. <laughs> oh, I know. Not ours. I don't do that. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have like thousands. But those are just normal people. But a lot of Amazon um, products, I found out. I had no idea. I'm so naive. They actually pay people to, to review do them? reviews for their stuff. Which is why the gunshot kit, I have one kit on Amazon because Amazon fees are like ridiculous. Sorry, Amazon. But um, I have no reviews on hmm. <laughs> my one kit. Yeah. And you know why? Because I don't pay people to review things. And that's proof in the pudding. <laughs> I'll say. Well, I'm pretty impressed by. Anyway, those testimonials are real testimonials from real people. I didn't put words in anyone's mouth, and they're not made up. They're real, real, real. You know what? Yes, my love. I think your kids are the bomb. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, we learn from you guys as much as you do from us. Well, let's face it, a lot more. <laughs> so get those nuggets of knowledge out of your noggin. Reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. It's so easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Contact us anytime by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine Dr. Bones Nurse and Nurse Amy. Uh, like and follow our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. That's kind of a central location for everything. And you can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. Don't forget, if you like to watch videos, we have a YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy. Now, folks, I know we just threw a whole lot of stuff at you, but if you just go to doomandbloom.net, on the top left corner, there's a Facebook icon, there's a Twitter icon, on the right side, there's a YouTube link, so you can find all of these things directly from doomandbloom.net. Oh, yeah. You don't have to memorize that. them. Right. I also have a contact form. So if you don't want to memorize the email, all you have to do is fill out the contact form, and it'll be sent to us. Awesome. Easy. Easy, easy, easy. Wow. <laughs> I, I just well, I can't believe the I amount of resources we have for people. I know. I just don't want folks to feel like they have to write all this stuff down. If just go to doomandbloom.net, you can find all this silly stuff. <laughs> we want to thank our friends, uh, the folks at KYH Utah for uh putting on the Survival Medicine Hour on their land-based radio schedule, and also to our good friends at Prepper Broadcasting, Survival Central, USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, all the other great networks that carry our program. And don't forget our other podcast, American Survival Radio, all about current events and our opinions with a practical perspective now on a half a dozen at least Radio stations, land-based radio stations throughout the U.S. of A., plus a number of Internet networks. Thank you, folks. I wanted really to say appreciate the, it. Yes, absolutely. I want to say that we're going to be in Mesquite, Texas, Texas. a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. And I, we're going to be doing some teaching at the Self-Reliance Expo. It's been an expo that's been there every year uh, for the last few years. Well, I wouldn't, yeah, it has been in that that uh, city, but yes. it hasn't been in the same location every time. Right. This I think is the last back couple to of Mesquite. Years. Yeah, back to Mesquite. <laughs> That's right. Like Lukenback, Texas. There you go. Lukenback, so Texas. our dates are Friday and Saturday, 
Gosh. March 23rd and 24th. Do you realize this is next weekend? I know. That's why I'm mentioning it. 2018, by the way. Right. You can uh, see all of our products. You can talk to us. So we're happy to talk to you. Just come by and say hi. You can watch us do uh, lectures. We have some free lectures. We have a hands-on suture class. Oh, you're going to be in a survival panel. Oh, really? An expert panel. Sounds good to me. Well, experts in you. (laughs) (laughs) very funny she is such a comedian i didn't name the panel they did now listen i want to give a special plug to our suturing stapling and wound care class we're going to teach people not just the mechanics of how to throw a stitch or how to put a staple in but we're going to teach you the judgment as to when you should deal with a wound this way when you should deal with a wound that way. Yep. We're going to talk about surgical glues. We're going to be talking about uh, butterfly closures. We're going to be talking about wound care, how to le- how to deal with a wound that has to be left open because of it, it's being dirty, how to recognize wound infections. It is an awesome class. People love this class. Mm-hmm. We're going to be using a, a pig's foot as our template because it's so close to uh, real human skin in terms of its texture and, and workability. So if you want to puncture a pig... If you that wanna... reminds me. We have to go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. That's right. And order them. That's right. <laughs> we'll be bringing them. <laughs> That's right. So if you guys want to puncture a pig out there, if you want to suture a sow, if you want to be bad to a boar, well, I'll tell you, come on down and sign up for our class. You can find it in the classes page on the website at doomandbloom.net. We have a few spots open, so please sign up. Absolutely. It's March 23rd, 2018 in Texas. In Mesquite, Texas. That's right. Um, I just want to say that last week we talked about fire extinguishers and the Consumer Product Safety Commission recalling millions of fire extinguishers from the KID company, K-I-D-D-E, company and sure enough i called it kitty i know you called it kitty like (laughs) hello hello kitty hello kitty makes fire extinguishers now well that's just because i'm a mom and everything reminds me of kitties that's right (laughs) well we not only found out that some of our fire extinguishers in the house are kid fire extinguishers but every fire extinguisher in the warehouse is a kid fire extinguisher so we've had to exchange them all Only the plastic handles, though. I don't think the metal handles. I think we have a couple that have metal handles, so those are theoretically okay. But if you have a KID fire extinguisher, K-I-D-D-E, and you bought it as from, I think, 2000, no, from 1973 to 2017. But it's not just their company. Look into it because. It's not just their company. They bought another company that had issues also. KID and their subsidiaries. Let's put it that way. Exactly, exactly. That's right. Well. Let's talk a little bit about medical stuff. We've been just yakking and yakking, and <laughs> is that we haven't what we talked do? about medical stuff, but this is called the Survival Medicine Show, so we're going to be talking about that. Now, of <laughs> What course, topics do you have I don't today? know. I don't know. I'm just sort of randomly, you know, stream of consciousness kind okay. of stuff. <laughs> now, I want to talk about equipment. Now, All right. Every, anyone to do their job properly, they need the right equipment. If you had a carpenter that used a steak knife as a saw, or if you had a, a hunter using a catapult instead of a rifle, a you catapult. probably wouldn't be very efficient or very effective. And the same goes for the medic, even in off-the-grid settings. The, the survival caregiver, uh-huh. let's call them, spends a lot of time and energy and, of course, some money on accumulate, accumulating 
a stockpile of medical supplies, the more the better, since you don't know how long you might right. have to function. And you want the right tools, of course, to go along with those supplies. Exactly. Now, I wa about medical supplies, it, you have to realize that this depends a lot on the knowledge and the skill that the user has obtained through study and, of course, through practice. Practice, practice, practice. Make sure that you learn how to do these. Actually, practice with your medical supplies so that you can get some muscle memory. Now, a blood pressure cuff, let's face it, just isn't very useful to someone who doesn't know how to take a blood pressure. So that's why you got to learn how to use your stuff. Uh, you want to concentrate first on obtaining items that you could use effectively and then purchase the more advanced equipment as you learn more skills. Now, don't forget that a lot of items can be improvised and certainly off the grid. You may have to do that. A bandana could serve as a sling, an ironing board. Believe it or not, it can serve as a stretcher. You can get some very thin fishing line, maybe a sewing needle. You can actually possibly suture with it. Now, a careful inspection of your own home is probably going to turn up lots of things that you can adapt to medical use. So look with a creative eye, and you'll be surprised at the medical issues that you're already equipped with. You've got sheets, you got bandages, right? Now, if you're going to be the medical caregiver for your family or community in times of trouble, you're going to have not only accumulated medical supplies, but you have so many medical supplies, you got to have a place to put them, right? And so very few people will talk about a, a basic piece of medical equipment that everybody needs. That's the bag that contains all these supplies. Now, without a place to put your medical supplies, they're going to be thrown about in a way that's going to prevent you from accessing the stuff that you need when an emergency arises. You're absolutely right. If you are disorganized and an emergency happens, you might be searching in several different locations because you don't remember where you put this. So I know you're talking specifically about um, the, the bag that you should have, but I also want to just mention that you may have different sizes. So, again, I know you're going to talk about what you should think about when you're getting bags, but also I want to just put the idea that you might want multiple bags, one for your bleeding equipment, one for airway, uh, one for burns. It's possible that you want to organize yourself with smaller bags, maybe inside a big bag, but make sure that you know where things are. That's like, the important thing. So, and you might want to have a kit that you put in your car and you leave a bigger one at home. So, you know, let's talk about some of the things you need to think about when you're considering bags. Well, you're absolutely right. The really important aspect of choosing a bag is, uh -huh. of course, that fits your needs is the size of it. Yep. And that depends. I mean, size matters, as they say. <laughs> for, <And> you should... <laughs> for medical bags, yes. yes okay. <laughs> you should assess your needs to determine which size bag is good for you. And there are factors that go into this decision, and, and there are quite a few of them. One is, are you staying in place? Or are you on the move? Right. Okay. If you're if you're staying in place, well, you know, you might have a, a big toolbox that could be right. you could your think bag, about having, so to speak. Sure. More stuff within one bag that maybe isn't as mobile. Maybe you put them... Crate or Crate chest. or we've also used plastic containers. Yes, large plastic containers. With that, lids. Right? And, and I've got a bunch of those. literally put masking tape on the front of them, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. And with black marker, yes, because we're really high tech. Right. <laughs> Wrote exactly what's in there. I have one that says uh, minor injuries. Uh-huh. One that says surgical supplies. Right. We have one that says major injuries. Right, right. I have one that says burns. Uh, I have one that says skin skin issues. 
So it just depends. And then there's, of course, our gauze. <laughs> yep. You know, those are going to take crates containers crates, uh, yeah, their, yeah. of their own, right? Absolutely. <laughs> It has taken a life of its own, actually. And another thing I, I just want to say before you talk about bags is one thing you might consider is inventorying what you have in each of those containers. So I have a notebook with paper, and I have written what the container is, whether it's my skin issues or my minor injuries. And then every single item that's in that container or that bag – or module, or whatever it is that you're using, I have written exactly what is in there and the number. And another thing you should write is the expiration date. I don't have as many expiration dates as I should have, but it will give you a central location to look through and say, do I have this? And instead of going through all of your supplies, you can look on that piece of paper and say, oh yes, I do. I do have that item. I have four by four gauzes and I have 200 of them. And so you know of them, but maybe you've thought to yourself, I need to have four or 600 of them. So now you know exactly how many you have and how many you need. It is a very, very organized way. So when you get these bags and you start putting things inside them, or maybe they came with stuff like our kits come with stuff. Uh, you could easily print off an inventory list from our website, by the way. Right. Feel, for, feel free. I have all the descriptions. Exactly. Right. Kits that are already packed. That's right. Our kits that I pack, you have on the store an inventory list. So just print that out. You can put that in your book so you know how much you have, what the brand name is. And then you can mark your expiration dates on that inventory list because each bag, obviously, you have different inventory lists. Or, excuse me, expiration. So anyway... Stay organized, have a book, a central place that you put every item that you have, and how much of that. That's right. And how much of it uh, is partially determined by the number of people that you think you'll be responsible for if you get thrown off the grid due to some kind of disaster. Oh, yeah. Who, and remember, who's going to show up? <laughs> right. So you may have this little first aid kit, but the truth of the matter <clears throat> is, is that most likely uh, you will be responsible for dealing with more than just yourself or maybe your your spouse or significant other, you may wind up being taking care of a bunch of people. So you may need a bigger bag than you think you uh, would ordinarily. Absolutely. In fact, I have uh, two little stories here. One, we had our, our plumber who we've had for, he's actually our sprinkler guy and our plumber was over here last week. And <laughs> we were talking about disasters because he's known for a long time that, you know, we're preppers and he makes the comment, which he's made every time he's come to our house. Well, I know where I'll be going if something happens. <laughs> there you go. Well, and he I know does have some skills. He's got a pre- he does have <laughs> skills, and his, his family's pretty skilled, too. And I'm sure he'll bring all of his family. He's got several brothers and, mm-hmm. you know, nieces and nephews. So, so we may be expecting the plumber. Very right. nice guy. I'm happy to have him. But also, we had the washing machine fixed uh, two days ago that's been banging. Yeah. <laughs> every every time like it a... tries to say, boom, 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 boom. So I have to put, like, two two little tiny pieces of laundry in there, like, like two pillowcases. No. <laughs> that's all I can handle. Anyway, he was over, and our prepper storage is right next to the laundry room. And the door is open, and he brought a partner over this time to help because it was a lot of equipment to replace. And 
they were talking and they said, oh, yeah, I told my friend here that, that you've got a lot of supplies and I know where I'm going if something happens. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Great. So now not only does the guy who's been fixing my washing machine and dryer for a, a few times <laughs> know about the prepper stuff, but now he told his friend that it came with him. Well, that's bad so, news. <laughs> just folks, no matter how many people you think are coming, there just probably are a lot more. <laughs> That's actually true. And as oh, a result, you have to figure out that you might need a bigger bag than you ordinarily would consider necessary for your personal needs. Wow. Um, another thing is the length of time that you're going to be the medical resource for your family or group. Right. I mean, and remember, you might be responsible only for a certain number of people in terms of feeding them, but with you may be responsible medically for more people than are actually living in your retreat, you know, that may be in the surrounding areas. So that's another thing. So the number of people, how long you're going to be the medical resource, are you in an area that's potentially dangerous? In other words, is there a higher likelihood that you'll be dealing with trauma than somebody that's living at the top of a mountain somewhere, isolated from other people? That's something that's important and, and may Absolutely. determine the size of the bag that you need. Uh, what climate should you be prepared for? Prepared for? Do you mm-hmm. need like an extra set of clothing that should be in, in the bag, for example? What uh, medical issues are you most likely to encounter? Trauma in areas of civil unrest, for example. Mm-hmm. Maybe infections in areas where the water is questionable or uh, th- dysentery, things like that. Uh, and that's very important. Can you depend on clean water? Because that's going to be a big issue. Water sterilization or, or de- in- disinfection That's going to be tough supplies. for us. That's going to be something important. we have city important. water, yeah. That's right. Uh, how many medical supplies do you have already? The question is, you need one bag, you need two. Who knows? And, and the question is, is that how likely is it that you're going to be traveling around with medical supplies in tow other than just an individual first aid kit. If you're just patrolling the perimeter, you probably just need a first aid kit because there's people nearby that can help you. But if you're going to be on expedition, so to speak, uh, traveling to far off places because where you're at is not safe enough, well, you're going to need to have maybe Molly compatible stuff or you can attach stuff. Molly, by the way, if you if for those folks that don't know, larger bags oftentimes have, are Molly compatible, most of them. Uh, Molly, M O L L E, it's a military acronym and it stands for Modular Lightweight Load Carrying Equipment. So if you have never heard of that, that's called Molly. And these bags have uh, what look like horizontal stripes sewn on the outside of the pack, which allows you to put additional items and secure it on the outside by attaching them to these loops that are created by the stitching or webbing, whatever you want to call it. Now, which medical supplies should every member of your family carry in case you get separated? Well, everybody should have what they call an individual first aid kit, an IFAC, I-F-A-K kit. Here's the military acronyms again. Um, You basically need to have everybody always having something that they can have, maybe a tourniquet and bandages, uh, things like that, or things for just the common trail. If that's the case, you know, things like moleskin for blisters. It depends on what you're that's doing. That's a good one. That's right. A lot of people don't forget <clears throat> about that. Right. So you want to have your uh, 
individual members have their own little first aid kit, but then the family medic carries the advanced items in a larger bag. Now, the best medical bags, in my opinion, have lots and lots of clear or mesh pockets. And these have everything you'll need in an emergency, and you'll have them in plain sight if you pack them right. And that'll avoid the question you never want to ask yourself if somebody's injured. Right. Like, where did I where? put the tourniquet? Or <laughs> exactly. where's the burn dressings? My gosh, where's this? Where's that? Where's this? You know, when you have to act fast, you want to naturally see. You want to see right away what where everything is. Of course. Now, some things are more critical than others. So take, for instance, when I pack the Family Bag or the Stomp Plus or the Stomp Supreme in the front pocket, when you open up the whole kit with the zippers, in the uh, stretchy loop area, which is exposed and easy to see, mm-hmm. of course, we have your bleeding supplies. Right. So we have your Israeli bandage. We have your Sealox product. And we have your two tourniquets um, in those kits. So the first thing that's probably going to kill you is hemorrhaging. Right. So we also have your airway supplies there, too. So right up front are the most immediate things. And then kind of in the mesh pockets, like you're saying, you can find your wipes and your headlamp and, you know, other items that you don't necessarily need that exact second. All right, but some bags come with, come with opaque pockets. Basically, you cannot see what's right. in them. And so for the emergency stuff, you really want to have them either in mesh so you can see right just through, plastic, smack or, dab just, in there. or just right there on loops that you can yep. just grab them that they're right there as soon as you open it. Now, and where everything should be, well, that's something that you should plan yourself. Now, our, we make a lot of medical kits, and we put things where they make sense for us. However... You should always make a medical kit personal for you so that you personally will just naturally go to a certain place, maybe to look for a tourniquet, maybe to look for bandaging or things like that. And you should always put it where it makes sense to you, not where it makes sense to Doom and Bloom or any any kind of first aid company. Make it so that it makes sense for you. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Backpack mishaps, there are a lot of injuries that you can get just from being uh, bad with regards to choosing a backpack. You can have injuries to to skin injuries from thing, the straps digging in. You can have back injuries, a lot of things like that. Now, the American Occupational Therapy Association, they actually have some pretty good tips on preventing backpack mishaps like back injuries, but mm-hmm. they usu- they're usually talking about students. So usually there's students involved, uh, like college students and stuff like that, and they give advice to them as to what backpack they should have. They include some tips that make sense for the medic as well. And for example, choosing a backpack with a padded back panel, that's helpful. And some of your pointier stuff will won't tear through it and actually injure you. Plus, it's more comfortable. Right, exactly. Uh, adjustable padded shoulder straps, padded shoulder straps, that's important. Uh, chest straps also help stabilize the pack so it doesn't fly around. All you know. of my big bags have these, they by exa- the way. Oh, good. All right. Well, that's awesome. Um, and you always want, of course, in your pack, you want to distribute the weight evenly mm-hmm. in your pack. So that's important. Not only wears everything, you want to know where everything is, but you want everything to be balanced in such a way so that you're not 
in some weird, you know, you don't have most of your weight on the right side, most of the weight on the left side. Of the <laughs> that pack, makes sense, absolutely. Or, or top or bottom. You know, uh, fall over to the side. <laughs> exactly. Now, the heaviest items in your pack should be loaded closest to your back to get so that they can be handled better. The more that you reach for heavy items, or uh, for example, they tell you never to go reach for a very heavy item when you're lifting it up. Same thing in terms of your heavy items in your backpack you want them as close to you as physically possible and and don't forget that you want to always be able to feel comfortable standing up straight with your pack in place for for large packs a hip hip belt is very 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 important it provides a lot of balance support it takes mm-hmm. strain off your neck and your shoulder muscles ours also so, has that Oh, good. Yeah, that your your which one of these? The Stomp Supreme, the Trauma Plus, and the Family Medical. Yes. These are the biggest bags, and they're the ones that would cause the most strain if oh you yes. wound up having to carry them in some unbalanced fashion. I will say one thing about them that's that's good is that medical supplies, generally speaking, don't weigh a lot. If you think about. Bandages Having a lot of gauze, Israeli bandages. Tourniquet is not Just heavy. A, your wipes, your antiseptic wipes. Uh-huh. Most of these things are seriously lightweight. The heavy things, if you are doing a survival bag, are your waters, your water bags, your water supplies. Now, if you had intravenous ba- food, bags. food, right, exactly. Those would be very heavy. Right, and then maybe some, some heavier tools like a hammer and an axe and a knife right you know these larger items larger heavier items make survival packs much much heavier because you have a lot more tools that you need a bigger flashlight things like that our packs don't weigh as much as they look like they should weigh (laughs) right so the stomp plus only weighs about 19 pounds oh that's actually pretty light i thought it was more than that no the supreme has more equipment more stuff that one weighs about 22, Two, 23 pounds. And then the family bag has also the dental supplies. Right. So those oh boy, are a those little are heavier. Solid. Yeah. You've got to put so those in your will. Those you're <laughs> looking at, that one's also between 23, 24 pounds. But I have heard people who've made survival bags, your general bug out bag, that they're upwards of 50 pounds. Well, you have to remember, and a lot I'm of these thinking, guys are ex-military. and There's used... no way I'm carrying right. 50 pounds. Well, <laughs> they're, they're making happen. bags that make sense for the military. The, you, you guys that are in the military, you know that you've been, you carry around bags that have a lot more oh, equipment, equipment sure. and that are a lot heavier than 22 or 23 or 24 pounds. So I tried to make them light enough that they're not too onerous on most people. Obviously, if you have back injuries, problems like that, hips, you're going to have difficulty with heavier items. But I tried to make them more reasonable. It's just the size. <laughs> they right. are in big backpacks. <laughs> so it's important to think about those tips are, are really important to, in terms of choosing a backpack. But the key is to just make have the medical kit make sense to you. Have the stuff that you really need. If you're going to be traveling, then... Uh, you know, you'll find a lot of kits, as I said, already packed with supplies, but you might have to deconstruct them. And I'm talking about even our kits at Doom and Bloom and moving things around no. so that, yes, <laughs> so that the arrangement seems natural for your purposes. Uh, and remember, the medical bag, if you are staying in place, doesn't have to be commercial, commercially produced. If 
you know, a toolbox or another item that sets up your supplies in some organized manner is all that you need. Hey, have yes. you experienced the joy that comes with helping you just the elderly? Me. Did I? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare. <laughs> well, you can help the elderly. That's me and your family by getting a copy of our award-winning third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help Is Not On The Way. It talks about over 150 different medical issues, and it assumes that you are off the grid, you were thrown off the grid by some kind of disaster, you got limited supplies, and you are just an average person, not some medical professional. So get, a autograph, uh, get an autograph copy at doomandbloom.net if you want, or you can just go to amazon.com. Just make sure you get the third edition, 700 pages of information that might help you increase your chances for survival in times of trouble. Hey, you know, I want to talk a little bit about wound care. You know, once you've stopped bleeding, we've talked about supplies and bags to keep those supplies in, but now we're going to talk about the actual issue. Once you've stopped bleeding, and you've applied a dressing, you may think that the emergency is over. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that in an austere setting, you actually have a lot more responsibility than in normal times, right? Of course, in normal times, you your job is to get that person to the nearest hospital or other medical facility, next highest resource, in other words, that can deal with their issue. That's great in normal times, and that's exactly what we should do. We call that pre-hospital care. But what if you are the hospital? If a disaster has occurred and you have become the highest medical resource left, well, you're going to have to follow the status of a wound until it has fully recovered. So that's your role as medic. From beginning to end, you are the end of the line when it comes to whether a wound heals or doesn't heal, whether a person recovers or does not recover. Now, an open wound can heal by a couple of different methods, and one of them is called primary intention, where you close the wound. Uh, the wound is closed in some way, such as with sutures and staples. This results in a smaller scar, but does carry the risk of occasionally sequestering bacteria deep in the wound. That's bad, and you probably have heard of people having wounds where the wound was closed, but there was some bacteria in the wound and it became an infection. The infection went all over the place. Some people wind up with amputations. Some people die. It can be very bad. That's why it's so important to make sure that you wash out the wound thoroughly What we call by a process that's called irrigation. We flush out the debris, flush out the bugs, and that is something important. We'll talk about that later. Then, of course, there is what we call secondary intention. Secondary intention is also known as granulation, and leaving a wound open causes the formation of granulation tissue, and that's rapidly growing uh, scar tissue that's rich in blood vessels and fill, that fills in spaces where the wound edges are not together. And sometimes wounds must be left open if they're clearly dirty, and sometimes just for a period of time they can be closed later by suturing or by stapling, and or sometimes it has to just fill in on its own, like, let's say, a bed sore or something like that. Now, after a period of time, this granulation tissue turns into mature scar tissue, and this scar would be larger than if you closed the wound, but proper care decreases the risk of infection and eliminates the, the chances that you are going to actually cause the person to have problems yourself by not using the right judgment as to when a wound should be closed. 
Now, oftentimes it's safest to allow a wound to heal on its own rather than suture or stapling it closed. That is something that you have to follow, though, very closely. Uh, if you have wound dressings, you're going to have to change them regularly, I think at least twice a day whenever... Uh, or whenever a wound is saturated with blood or fluids, you sometimes have to change uh, dressings, however fast it be they become dirty or they become saturated. And that's important to give the best chance for rapid healing. When you change a dressing, it's important to clean the wound area with sterile or at least drinkable water or some kind of antiseptic solution, such as maybe a dilute betadine solution or a povidone iodine solution, let's say one part betadine and 10 parts water, might not be a bad idea. The solution to pollution is dilution. That means using a bulb or an irrigation syringe, either a 60 or 100 milligram, milliliter, excuse me, syringe to provide pressure to the flow of water and wash out the old clots and dirt. That's important. It's important to lightly scrub any open wound with that diluted betadine or sterilized water, even normal saline, you might notice some bleeding as the wound is healing. That means that there's some live tissue it's forming new blood vessels, and so it can be a little pink, or you could have a little bleeding as a result as you're as you're scrubbing it clean. You want to apply pressure Which with a I just clean bandage until it stops. The scrubbing is not comfortable. Oh, man. I'll bet it isn't. <laughs> I know. I have seen it because I have had to scrub and you've had to scrub yes. some open so wounds. Just, just know that when you're cleaning a wound, the patient's not going to be your best friend at that point. They're going to be very unhappy with you. But your job is to help prevent infection because you don't want to have to use antibiotics or other items to um, <clears throat> take care of somebody who really should have been prevented in the first place. Right, absolutely. And antibiotics, of course, are useful when the wound is clearly infected or to prevent a wound from becoming infected. But it's very possible that you can basically use dilution, solution to pollution, as we said, <laughs> things like normal saline and things like maybe Dakin solution. We'll talk about that. Uh, a solution that's often used for wound cleaning is we'll start off with normal saline. It's termed normal because it approximates the salt content of blood. So sterile normal saline can is something you can purchase it online in bottles, or you can actually make it. To make it, all, all you need is a pan with a lid, uh, salt, water, uh, some sterile jars, and uh, of course jars that, jars that have sterile lids too. You want to add two teaspoons of salt to a liter of water mm -hmm. and put that in a pan. Place a lid on the pan and bring the salt water to a roiling boil. After a short time, let the solution cool in the pan with the lid on. And then I want you to pour them into sterile jars, like canning jars, for example, and close them with the sterile lids. If you do that, and make, you're making sterile saline. And sterile saline produced this way should last about 30 days at least with the lids closed or, and maybe 24 to 48 hours after opening, depending on how it's used. You know, I find it quite interesting that there are countries that obviously don't have these commercialized products or maybe even the ability to make sterilized water or sterilized saline at the point where they need to clean a wound. And so they have always used drinking water. And what studies found going back looking at these wounds that were cleaned initially with just clean drinking water, and when I say clean drinking water, 
It means you know that it doesn't make anyone sick. They don't vomit afterwards. It's not terribly polluted. A known source. A known so- source. Maybe it's, you know, bottled water that they were going to drink, but they decided to use it on a wound or out of the tap or, again, from a source that they know doesn't make uh, sick. What they found comparing our wound cleaning techniques with sterilized saline or water with their cleaning techniques of just clean water showed no increase in infection rates with the clean water. What that means is if you don't have sterile water or you don't have sterile saline, the first time, and we're speaking of the first time that you clean the wound, it's okay to just use clean drinking water. Now, what I don't want you to do is take a sip out of that drinking water, get backwash in that container, and then use that to clean a wound. Now, you have just really contaminated it with a bunch of mouth bacteria, and you don't want to use that. So unopened bottles of water, things that you know are clean. So those are okay for the solution to pollution is dilution. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Adding water is diluting it. So you're absolutely right. However, on the next cleaning, not the first one, but the subsequent cleaning of an open wound, you should, if humanly possible, use the most sterile supplies you have. And that includes sterile waters or sterile Dakin solution right. or, or disinfect the sterile water as best saline. you can if you're off the grid. You go, you go as far as you can, and that may only mean that you've put it through a, a man-made filter of sand and charcoal <clears throat> and uh, maybe also boiled it. But it, you do the best you can right? because at that point you don't want extra bacteria sitting in there. Usually what you're doing when you're changing gauze and dressings for days and days is you do it maybe once or twice a day, ideally is twice, but the soaked gauze, the wet dressing that's in contact with the wound is in contact for the wound for about 12 hours. Right. So you want to not introduce anything extra that the body has to handle. Now, a lot of people will tell, ask me about, oh, liquor, whiskey, or pouring, uh, you know, concentrated bedded ion solution. I would think that's okay for a first cleaning if you had to. Sure. But I wouldn't do that with later. Right, continuously because as the wound is healing, there are new cells. And the new cells that are sort of forming these baby cells. This This is a good point. Baby cells are what we call hydrophilic. That means they love water. and, Mm -hmm. And things that dry them out, things that, Maybe liquid, but are not water. Things like hydrogen peroxide, um, alcohol, right? Things like that. And when even we say concentrated alcohol, bedded on. both alcohols, we're right? Talking uh, about rubbing alcohol or boozy and alcohol. boozy alcohol, alcohol, right? Both of those. And, and both of them, <laughs> although they will kill bacteria, they're also going to kill some of those baby cells. Right. And they're the not, wound will heal slower. Right. They're not friendly to a healing wound. Exactly. And right. that's the point. Now, uh, I would say that. Dakin solution is a good choice. Now, many people have not heard of Dakin solution. Uh, Dakin solution was first used during World War One, and essentially, it is a form of bleach. Really, I mean, very, very, very dilute 
bleach. Very, let's say very, 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 very. Right. And, and they use it during World War One to a, disinfect soft tissue wounds. Right. I just want to, this is not a 50-50 solution. Right. This is, a, you know, this right. is really dilute. Well, the good news about it is that you can make a good supply of Dakin solution <clears throat> using common storage supplies. And for that, you would need something like baking soda. You would need regular strength household bleach, baking soda, and just some boiled tap water. So to make it, you take four cups of sterilized water and you ask, add about one half teaspoon of baking soda and then add a certain amount of bleach to reach the strength you'll need. If you have three teaspoons of bleach, it acts as a mild antiseptic, playing for clean wounds that are healing. Then three tablespoons instead gives you a stronger effect to use on infected wounds and three fluid ounces for a full strength solution would treat perhaps the worst infections this is a way to easy way this three this rule of threes right. for dagen solution three teaspoons mild <clears throat> antiseptic three tablespoons uh, stronger effect than three fluid ounces of worst infections do not take dagen solution internally it is dangerous and it will it could kill you especially the it's bleach it's bleach let's yeah just, don't drink let's bleach just be clear yes. it's bleach right exactly <laughs> watch for allergic reactions some people are, uh, will have a reaction to it It'll look like a rash or other irritation and Dakin solution in order for it to remain potent uh, you need to store it in darkness and and at room temperature so put it in an area that's dark that doesn't get too hot and that will be the way you can keep it fresh for the longest period of time. Unfortunately, you have to make a new batch every few days. It loses its potency pretty quickly. So that's something that's important. And make sure it doesn't get frozen or it doesn't you don't heat it up excessively. So that's something. And you can use that for wet to dry wounds yep. and, or you could as well as in the mildest oil. solution. Right. I would in the say very, it's very probably mild. the the best. Exactly. Three teaspoons. The, le- the least amount possible. Right. Four cups of sterilized water, half teaspoon <clears throat> of baking soda, three teaspoons, teaspoons of regular household bleach. Absolutely. That you'll make what we call a wet-to-dry solution. So uh, to assure rapid healing of open wounds, the wet-to-dry dressing is not a bad idea. What you do is you apply a bandage that's soaked in sterilized water or a very mild Dakin solution and you wring it out. To, or, or sterilize saline. Uh-huh, right, yes. Either way. That's a good, good idea. And you wring it out. You don't want the uh, dressing to, to be saturated. Right. You don't want it to be <clears throat> soppy. <laughs> right. Exactly. And by the way, if you're, if you're using a sterilized solution and sterilized gauze, you should have sterilized gloves if possible. Again, we're trying to introduce the least amount of bacteria into the wound so that the wound can just deal with whatever it has to deal with and you're not adding to the problem. Right. You should have a supply of regular <clears throat> gloves, nitrile gloves, and you should have a supply of, of sterile, sterile gloves. gloves. And those oftentimes come yes. in latex. See if you can find them, though, in nitrile if they, if you can. Right. Because there's less of a allergy Right. That's what we use effect. in the bags. So, right. So that's important. Um, so what you're doing with your dressing is you're wringing it out so mm-hmm. it's not soaking wet, that, that it's just damp, and you're applying it into the open wound, and you're covering the wound up to the level of the skin right. with the wet. Fill it up with all wet right, right to the surface of the skin, and then once you get to the level of the skin, 
It's like, like planting a tree. <laughs> you know, no, you fill the dirt up so it matches the level of the skin, and then you're going to put a dry dressing on. Now, the best Wet to dry exactly the the best kind of dry dressing is um, something called an ABD pad. It has a tiny bit of a of a sheen to it. It's not quite as absorbent as four by fours, just plain. Gauze. ABD pad is nice because it's thick and it sits on top. Also, uh, you might consider Telfa. What you don't want to do is suck up all of the fluid that's in the wet dressing into the dry dressing. And, of course, that's considered wicking is a word to describe that. Like a candle wick. Don't want to do that. So the dry dressing that you're putting on top, it's nice to have it um, non-adherent, non-stick. Those are all good words. Telfa is just a brand name. But the ABD pads are less absorbent uh, for the wet dressing. So those are a good choice to put on top. Uh, but like I said, or you can put a one layer of the nonstick and then put, you know, pretty much anything on top of that. That was on top. To... Exactly. Right. But those have to be sterile if possible. Again, sterile dressing that's soaking up the liquid that you put inside and a sterile top layer. Once nope. you've put a sterile, say, a nonstick, you can put anything on top of that. As long as it's not touching the inner right. aspect of that wound. Right. I put a little little more gauze maybe to make it thick, depending, because yeah, it could be tender. Yeah, you pile on top of right. it if you want. And then cover it with either an ace wrap or just secure with medical tape, you know, depending sure. on what, what you need to do. So that makes a lot of sense. It's a good idea, actually, to apply some antibiotic ointment around the healing wound to prevent infection from bacteria that's on the skin from getting into yep. it. But it doesn't have to be necessarily commercially produced antibiotic ointment, uh, you could consider using natural products. Tea tree oil might help. Lavender oil might help. Raw honey. Raw honey. I cannot. Unprocessed raw honey. I cannot emphasize another thing that you could consider uh, just either as a preventative move or as a treatment, if you want to, is using the raw honey mixed with that wet solution you're soaking the gauze with. So put some honey in that solution, and then that gauze that you're squeezing out a little bit before you put it in the wound has some honey mixed in there. And so that might help you prevent infections and, and possibly treat, too. If you really want to get that honey in there, you could put a layer of honey in the wound and then put the wet gauze on top of that. That's I probably think. ideal if you're really, really concerned about an infection. So it's, I, I think that's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. Now, it's important to be able to recognize when tissue is no longer viable. In other words, when tissue must be removed because it's interfering with the healing process because it's not alive anymore. Yep. And that tissue has a tendency to dis discolor. It becomes blackish or brownish and different from the regular uh, normal color of the skin, mm -hmm. uh, even even in people with darker complexions. Uh, and it might easily scrub out. I mean, you're going to be scrubbing the wound on a regular basis, of course, as you're cleaning it, mm -hmm. and it might come out. But sometimes that <clears throat> material will not come out. In that case, you might have to take a scissors or a scalpel and trim off the dead tissue. We call that procedure debridement. Debridement. And that removes material that's no longer part of the healing process. You certainly don't want that to, uh, you don't want dead tissue to interfere. It will cause a worse scar 
and or to start to it'll rot. stop the bleeding and start to rot and become infected itself. Oh, right, it re- certainly Not increase the amount of infection. Not going to help your situation to leave dead skin in there. You're absolutely right. Now, they have also used maggots to consume non-viable tissue, and if you have some non-viable <laughs> tissue on the edges or a little on the deep on the inside, then that that would work. Of course, uh, maggots can be bought from a medical supply company, but the truth of the matter is, is that in an off-grid setting, you're probably going to have to find mag- maggots on your own. And they usually look for the green bottle fly, which is native to a lot of part, a lot, many parts of the country. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about because they definitely eat the non-viable <clears throat> tissue. But they leave the viable <clears throat> tissue completely alone. And to get these, if you're in an area that has green bottle flies then what you want to do is you want to have some decaying meat. Now, you could shoot a squirrel, maybe, or or a rat. Put it in a bag, and in the bag you want to put holes, a number of holes, uh, in the bottom so that and and hang it over, uh, let's say, on a branch or something like that. You want to have a bowl or something on the floor. The flies will go into the holes in the bag when they notice that there's rotting meat there and they'll lay their eggs the eggs will become maggots and the maggots will drop out through the holes over a period of time and into the bowl and bingo there's your supply of maggots oh yay maggots 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 (laughs) (laughs) i wish we had a palate cleanser here hey you know what you gotta think outside the box wait babies and puppies yes babies and puppies dead puppies you put in a bag to get maggots. That's terrible. <laughs> you did not just say that. Don't listen. Cover your ears, folks. He doesn't mean it. Yeah, I don't mean it, of course. <laughs> he loves puppies. Well, on that note, we have run out of time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of <laughs> The Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alton and lovely Amy Alton, <laughs> Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll be back next week. Hey, don't forget, if you are in Texas and... You uh, and into Dallas Fort Worth area. I know it's a big state. <laughs> Please come by and say hi. Maybe consider taking our suture stapling class. You get to keep the instruments and 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 a DVD of it. I think that would be an awesome thing to learn some we, new skills. And we'd love to meet you. Absolutely. Have a wonderful week. See you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.